and welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 39. This week my guest is Rebecca Weber and she'll be telling us about her new debut novel which is called The Painter's Butterfly so stick around for the interview section. Okay so at my desk this week well at my desk this week I've been busy actually doing the edits from my um editor for my upcoming book The Midwitch and it's been a really nice process um it's quite nice to find an editor that I feel actually gets me and that's quite a change I think other editors I've had not that I'm knocking their work they did a great job but I feel that um this editor really understands what I'm trying to say here and um gets my humour and uh, the whole process of this Midwitch book and what I'm trying to say. So uh, apart from the fact that she's quite a bit younger than me, and this is very much about a middle-aged witch and, um, you know, the problems of middle age that women women of my age face. And so I hope I haven't put her off getting old um, with my general um, carry-on. Anyway, but apart from that, it's been good. So it's interesting to take time. I've really taken my time over these edits. Um I'm the kind of writer that I'm not particularly, uh, how can I explain it? I'm not particularly uh, attached to my prose, if you see what I mean. I don't feel that I'm I'm a beautiful writer. I don't find that I write things and think, oh gosh, you know, that's going to win a prize. I really don't. I'm very much a storyteller. And mostly what I feel that the editor's job is, is to make my writing unirritating for anybody that might read it. And uh, so that's fine. So I'm very much a person who would take pretty much all of the editor's comments and suggestions and go with it. And that's kind of where I am with it. So I'm quite enjoying that. But also for me as a dyslexic person, I, I, it's interesting to see what she's done and, and to notice the mistakes that I make along the way, some of them quite habitual, and to try and make a note of that, which I'm kind of doing as I'm going along, to try and learn from, you know, what she's telling me in order to not make quite such a lot of mistakes next time. And hopefully, you know, I mean, you know, dyslexia is a funny thing and I I, I do understand that my writing comes out slightly different from, differently from other people's prose. Um, however you know, it is what it is. I try and keep it as clean as I can get it, you know, when it when she takes it on. But then, of course, you know, a professional will see, you know, exactly what's wrong with it. And she'll notice the various repeated words and all those things that lots of people make, but also some various ticks that I have, you know, within my writing that I'd like to get rid of. So I've definitely been looking at it as a learning experience and taking my time with her edits and looking through it and trying to really you know, get something from it more than just correcting the manuscript. So I haven't rushed it. I've gone through it carefully and kind of tried to think what it is that's, you know, why it's better when she does whatever she does. So anyway, I mean, I think we're probably flogging a dead horse. I I think there's a point, you know, when you have something like dyslexia that you can't really get away from. But even so, I still think you can try and um, improve what it is that you do. Anyway, so that's what I've been doing. I've been doing the, the edits for The Midwitch. If you'd like to sign up to be a Midwitch ARC reader, then, um, you know, find find the website or find me on um, any social media. You'll find there's a link on there to sign up for that. And I'd be glad to have you along. And, uh, you know, it, I, I'm not saying when it's going to be out, but it's, you know, it's getting there slowly but surely. So, you know, happy days. OK, so come and meet Rebecca Weber. She was a really interesting guest and... Um, interesting to hear what inspired her writing. On the Words and Pictures podcast, my guest this week is Rebecca Weber. 
And her debut novel, I think, but I'm going to ask her about that in a minute, is called The Painter's Butterfly. So hello, Rebecca, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. We're having a nice weather day today in England. We've had some pretty cold weather all spring. So we've had a really lovely, warm, sunny day today. So yeah, nice. Uh, But I've mostly been stuck in my office. How about you? Uh, Very much the same. We have... uh... We've had a mix of weather in the last few days. There have been some severe thunderstorm warnings. So we're stuck inside also. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's it's all good. So you're The Painter's Butterfly. So is this your first book that you, yes, this that you is, bought, bought out? Mm-hmm. This is my first book, uh, debut novel. And I write primarily like middle grade stories. So um, The Painter's Butterfly was my pandemic project. So when we were on lockdown, I'm like, yeah, I'm finally going to sit down and write that book that I've always wanted to write. Yeah. So uh, it was born out of that. Well, I think that's great. That's a really nice thing to come out of it. Brilliant. Yeah. I, and I think it, it looks lovely. I've had a little look online and I think we have something in common, Rebecca, because I think we we both used to be teachers and I also taught early years. So, oh, really? You know, yeah. So, so we, we both had that. We both have that in common and, um, I also write for children, but most people know me as DJ Bowman Smith, but I also write as Tiger Molly for children. And I also have some um, stuff out for middle graders. And uh, it's, um, I think as a teacher, I think when you're writing for children, I well, I know for myself when I'm working on these projects, I'm very much thinking about how it reads aloud, mm-hmm. I think, you know, because as a teacher, you've done that such a lot with a class, haven't you? And you're thinking... How does it how does it sound? Did you did you sort of put that in your mind when you were working on it? When I was initially writing it, probably not. Um, but then in the many, many, many edits and revisions, uh, I definitely streamlined it some because uh, I have a tendency to over describe, which, uh, as we all know, bogs down the story a little bit. So um, my husband was very helpful with that. He would read it and he'd say, "Ah, oh, this doesn't really make much sense or uh, so on and so forth. Um, but it, up front, when I was first writing it, I was really just telling the story to myself. So um, it needed a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think you've, I think think first drafts are always horrible anyway, because I think you just need to get that first thing out and get it on the page or on the computer screen somehow. And then, and then you've got something to grapple with. And I think that's part of the process. Nobody writes perfect first draft it's yes it's you know unless you were dickens or something somebody. Yeah, seriously yeah so I, I think i think that's all part of part of it so do you think you'll write um so the painter's butterfly that's a chapter book yeah yes yeah and and will you um write something else like that do, have you got other stories in your head have you are you planning um i do i remember when i finished this story and i signed with a uh, small press And then that deal actually fell through. So I had to find a second small press. I was working on other stories to keep myself occupied. So I've got my second book uh, followed the tradition of falconry. And it's in like a fantasy world, kind of. And then my third book is a contemporary middle grade about a young girl with uh, anxiety as she enters middle school. So I've got a few different stories and then I've had a lot of people ask about a sequel to The Painter's Butterfly. So that sort of got the gears in my head turning. Um, so I do have an idea, but nothing written down for a sequel yet. 
Yeah. Well, I think first the mind writes, isn't it? I think you've got to chew it over and then, yes, and then, and then, exactly. it, and then it comes through. Yes. I spend a lot of time staring into space and I, everybody asks me what I'm thinking about. I say, I'm writing. <laughs> you know, just, that's exactly just, it. You know, yeah. I might look like I'm just lying here in the deck chair, but actually my, my I'm actually just going through scenes and just having a think and having an imagine and just seeing whether where it takes me, where my mind will take me next. And I think that's really is very much part of being able to do that. I think possibly with the lockdown situation, I think a lot of people that hadn't had the chance to get in touch with their creativity, that kind of alone time enabled them to do that. And I think that's quite a good thing, really. I think, you know, a bit more creativity in the world can't be a bad thing, I think. I agree. Yeah. So how does it feel... um, to be uh with the small press rebecca is it is it, has it worked out well for you the second one that you found um yes very different experiences from the first to the second i know the first um i did my homework and i talked with other authors who had signed with the press and everyone seemed happy but the press was still relatively new going into it i think i was more optimistic than i necessarily should have been because a lot of small presses don't have the clout to stick around for a long period of time. So um, some information came to light that they weren't doing as well as they had let on. And it was actually, it was kind of sad. It was the day that I was supposed to do my cover reveal that the news came forward that um, the press was essentially going under. So I withdrew from the contract. I had all of the art for the painter's butterfly already uh, design. So I had commissioned a cover from someone because I always had this vision in my head. And then the main character is actually based off of my sister, who is an artist, and she did all of the chapter drawings. So I knew that going with bigger presses wasn't going to work because a lot of times authors don't have as much say in how those aspects of a book turn out. So when I started querying again, I uh, queried primarily small presses and this second press that I found has been fantastic. And he's been around for much longer, I think like 10 to 15 years, something like that. Um, Artemisia Publishing based out of New Mexico. And um, he's been a dream to work with. I can't say enough good about him, which is, I really needed that after losing the first deal. I know I was at a a low point um, because I didn't know whether or not I'd find a new home for the book. And this was really a book of my heart. And um, so that was disappointing. But I'd say do your research if you're going after the small press, but then also be prepared that uh, things don't always work out and you've got to pick yourself yeah. back up. And when I, you I, think, I think the whole publishing thing, whether you're an indie author like me or you're with even with your if with a even if you're with a big press, it, it there's highs and lows to the whole process of, you know getting yourself out there and you know getting yourself in print and um you know and also I think you know the creative process itself you know some days you think yeah I could do this this is fine and other days you don't feel so good about it and you think why am I bothering I'm rubbish you know and I think I think it's part of it yeah exactly you can you can read the same material twice on two different days and you the emotion and the mood of the day informs how you feel about the material it's like that's probably the most challenging part of this industry is just uh being able to tell the difference between (laughs) a bad day 
and oh, okay, then maybe yeah. I need to improve this a little bit. So yeah, I've definitely yeah, felt yeah. that I think, before I think too. That, that is definitely the case. Well, it's nice to know that you're with an encouraging press now. Um, and how do you find um, uh, the whole process of? Because I think children's books are very hard to market. I, th- I think they're much much harder to market mm-hmm. than, um, you know, adult stuff, which I also write for. How, how have you found that process? Have you have you cracked it? Have you got anything you want to tell me? <laughs> uh, that's that's a great point. And um, I, this is where I'm at now is learning how to market and advertise when I don't have that direct line to the kids. I know um, I know a little bit about like what kids are looking for in terms of books just because I did work in the schools. But there's that barrier between the kids and the author uh, the parents essentially. So that's who you're marketing to. And then it's like, well, how do I get the parents interested in my story? And right now I've been working on, um, a school presentation so I can actually get into the schools and talk to the kids directly about my book. But that the marketing piece is definitely where I have the least amount of experience. And my book only just came out February 7th, but it's been a lot of trial and error since then. And I feel like I have a lot more. Yeah, to learn I, th- I think it it's very to hard that. to market the children's the children's work. And like you say, you've got that barrier. You know, you you can't market directly to the children unless you can get get in front of them in libraries mm-hmm. or you know in school visits and things like that. And like yourself, I I kind of think that maybe I should be doing school visits and that kind of thing as well. And you know, I am a qualified teacher like yourself, so I, I you know I'm be quite happy to get in there and and work with the kids and things like that. And I I. I kind of look at my yes, website exactly. and I kind of think I should put sort of teachers' resources on there. That's kind of something that I keep thinking, you know, you could you could take your book and you could definitely make some teachers' resources so that teachers would come in and perhaps use mm-hmm. it, you know, just free stuff that they could use and, and access. And, yes. um, you know, I, it's somewhere in a notebook. I haven't actually got around to it yet, but I, I think that's probably quite a nice angle because I know I've done that with the author's when I was a teacher, I quite often went into their website and if they had, you know, sheets and stuff and a book and things that I could think, oh, I'll take this off. I'll use this for my literacy or, you know, or this particular project. It was quite mm-hmm. nice to have that. But the rest of the time, I just I just get on um, I, TikTok, really, and and uh, do some stuff, uh, you know, and under my author name for the TikTok. Um, but it is hard. It is really hard. Yeah. And uh, I found a really great resource. I don't know for your listeners if this would be a benefit, but on Facebook, there's a group um, called Creating Engaging oh. School Visits. And they have about, I, I think there's like 800 members or something, a thousand members. And they talk a lot about uh, what material to include when you go to the schools, how to structure those visits to benefit the kids the most. Um so I found that really helpful in trying to educate myself about how author visits typically work in schools. So creating engaging school visits. If any of your uh, listeners um, need more information about that type of thing, I cool. highly recommend I'll, I'll put that it in Facebook the show notes, group. you know, so people can have a link to it. And have you done some school visits yet? I have not, but because I uh, I am a teacher, I know teachers out in the teaching world. So I'm lucky enough to be in contact with a few people and been trying to set up for the beginning of next school year. So probably August, September sometime. Um, My hope is to do three or four school visits at that point 
yeah. and promote yeah, the book I a think little it's, more. I think it's probably a good thing. It's something I definitely do need to, you know, get get in there and do it because I tend to um, promote my adult stuff a lot, but the but the the children's stuff just kind of sits there and it's all, you know, it's all lovely. I've illustrated it all and all that kind of thing, but do I really get behind it? I kind of don't. It's like, it's like there's just too much to do. I find. Um, And it is a lot. It's uh, and that was what I was finding too, because I was in contact with the school librarian and I kept having to tell her, well, I'll send this to you next week. I'll send this to you next week because I want to make sure that my information is uh, best prepared as it can be. And um, yeah, so it's been a very big learning experience for me, even coming into it as a teacher. I'm like, well, I don't know how these visits are typically structured. So I want to come across as professional and prepared. And it's taken a lot of research to get to that point where I felt comfortable yeah, giving and, them any information about yeah, how my school Yeah, and I think you can't just get go. in there and wait. Well, we both know as teachers, you can't, you you really can't you no no that's not how it works <laughs> that's it not no 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 it, but actually we've got like a pile of notes we spent yeah. you know three hours preparing yeah exactly this one hour of interface with the kids and it's an entirely different thing and 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 I think yes. as, as old teachers well I'm an old teacher you you look very young you're a young was it teacher but I think the thing with it is you we know how quickly that that face-to-face time goes with a with a class and and how it, it you really have to have so much stuff in order to present actually just a few small ideas it's it's quite a thing yeah they're always more they always work quicker than you think or ask different questions or yeah absolutely so <laughs> so I think that's the trouble we're probably know too much actually possibly if we were just authors and we'd never been in that world possibly we wouldn't be so um picky about exactly what we were going to do and how it was going to go yeah yeah yes very yeah. true so so how what age group is your is the painter's butterfly aimed at um generally like uh eight to 12 year olds is yeah. where that middle grade range falls i know i always tend to cater to upper middle grade so um 10 11 12 maybe 13 i've had adults who have read it and said oh i thought it was going to be for kids yeah. and they really enjoyed it um so i think my tendency is just to use a little bit more advanced vocabulary i always loved as a kid learning new words in my book in the books that i would read and I know that that was one of the issues when looking for an agent, because they would come back and they'd say, oh, this reads a little older than middle grade. But I have had uh, very positive feedback from middle grade kids that it didn't deter them when they were reading through that they still yeah, were able to follow I think the story. You should never write down or talk, or talk down to them. It's, it's a case of giving giving them the challenge. That's Children yes. like to be challenged. They don't want to be they don't want this is where yes. you're at. You know, they like to have a have something more. Yeah, fine. Yeah, because I think my stuff's um, a fairly complex story. Not complex, but it's not dead easy to work out, you know, because it's like a little a mystery mm-hmm. thing. And I think and I think that's all well and good, really. As as an educator, I mean, that was really our goal was to push the kids to be the best that they could be. And having those high standards um, but at the same time, being flexible to what they're able to do, I feel like the high standards help them reach for more. So that definitely informs my writing. And uh, it's made it more complicated for me 
to break into the marketplace. But in the long run, I feel like it's staying true to like what yeah. I believe about kids. So yeah, I think I kind of nice. have to do it. Uh, my my only thing is because I self publish my stuff. Um, I always wish that I could make my book smaller. You know, in actual physical size because the small. The small books that you can get on Amazon are whatever they are, 11 by 13 centimetres, 20, 20 centimetres by 13, I think they are. Um, and that's when I mean, it's nice. It's a nice size. But I, I would I would just I would love to have it a little bit smaller for little hands. I just it's something quite nice to be able to do that. And I, mm-hmm. I imagine if you're in a smaller press, you can have a bit more um, say about that rather than just this is what's on offer and this is what you're going to have to do. It was it was interesting to see like the give and take. I know with the formatting, especially of the physical book, uh, again, I didn't have very much experience outside of, hey, I've read books for a really long time. So I sort of left that end of it up to him. But um, uh, I, it was an equal partnership in making decisions. So he would he would send something to me and I would approve it and then I'd send it back and so on and so forth. So I, I do like the give and take, whereas I feel like if you go with a bigger press, that is definitely not uh, going to be the case. Um, I have some friends in one of my middle grade groups who are signed with like bigger presses. And while they get update emails and things, they don't have as much say in yeah, final yeah. decisions and I think like that's, that. I think that's the thing. And then, of course, you've got the other end of the spectrum, like myself. You know, I, I'm an independent author and I make all the decisions. And sometimes you think, I just wish I had somebody to. <laughs> sometimes yeah, sometimes that it's like oh i don't exactly. know exactly i don't know you know and you sort of throw it around and show people and i've got friends that i can ask and things like that but yeah i think the buck just doesn't go anywhere it's just it's just here you know the buck stops with me and that's yeah, very is. overwhelming sometimes to have to make all the decisions um i know that was my backup plan was if I wasn't able to find that second small press, I was just going to go ahead and publish on my own because the self-publishing industry is growing so greatly. And it's like, um, it's a, it's a very viable option, uh, for publication. Um, but I was also like very nervous about having to make those decisions. Cause like I said, with the formatting and things, I don't know what's standard at all. So that would have required a lot more, uh, again, learning on my part. So major, major credit to you for taking on all of that. Like you are, you fill all those roles. Well, I think, well, I tried to, this is the thing. (laughs) I mean, thank God for the editor. I do always employ an editor and they, they usually a font of all knowledge, to be honest, you know, the professional editors are pretty good. So I want to ask you, um, Rebecca, I, when I was looking through your stuff, like I do before people come on, um, I see that you're also a, a beta reader. Now, that's that's an interesting role. So um, do you beta read across genres or do you just do beta read for children's books? Um, that's been an interesting, uh, an interesting journey, too, is for a long time I was beta reading just mm-hmm. as like a favor for people because I love stories. And there's yeah. that teacher piece of me again where it's like I like like saying, oh, this could work better like this and so on and so forth, tweaking. Um, but then last year I was like, well, I'm doing this anyways. Maybe I should open up to like commission beta reads because I tend to be very detail oriented. So I give a lot of feedback when I do uh, betas. I'll do like inline comments and things. Yeah, I mean, the journey has been interesting. I opened to uh, the public for beta reads last year and I've actually primarily done adult books. I feel like. Uh, 
maybe one or two middle grade, but mostly the people who have approached me, it's, uh, I've done a few adult romance, some like adult, um, historical, like, uh, dramas and things. So it's, it's interesting. I like, I feel like I've, I've learned a lot about the structure of books and what, what works and what doesn't through the reading process. Yeah. So yeah. It's interesting. I love to, it. And I think it's always fascinating to read something that, you know, very few people have read before. It's quite a nice thing, I think. Yeah. I mean, I personally don't read to read, um, although I read constantly and I read across all genres. I read everything from the pickle jar upwards, um, but I'm dyslexic. So I don't think I'm a lot of help because I don't really notice typos or, you know, different things like that. For me, my, you know, my, my mind slightly, my mind's badly wired, I think, in, in that kind of thing. Um, so I don't think I'm really a help more than um I find I'm I'm quite good on story structure and things like that you know I'm good good if you want a discussion about it but I'm but uh, but if I'm reading the prose I would yes. just probably just quite enjoy it but I don't know whether I could add anything in you know my own stuff needs an awful lot of editing before I can get it into anything that's even vaguely <laughs> vaguely legible to be honest um so I think it's I, I'm not a lot of help with it. That's that's the only thing. Um, I mean, I always tell people to use some, you know, the 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 Grammarly or the Pro Writing Aid or some of those things. I think I think they're a great help, especially if you're in my shoes and things come out just really badly within the first draft. So, you know, my my word my original writing has no link words. I have no connectives. I can write. I, they're in my head. I think. Okay. When I write, I have no connectives. Yes. When it comes out on the page, there's no connectives in it. There's no ands or buts or thus. It's just there's just none. There's just they don't they actually don't exist. <laughs> and, I, and I know that well hey, they it, don't have to. Exactly. For the yes, first draft, yes. So it's my, no my first draft needs needs to be a couple of first drafts, really, before it becomes that anybody could even make sense of it, really. So I'm I'm not I'm not your Peter Reader friend. <laughs> so so yes, it's nice if you can do that. I think that's that's interest an interesting angle. So do you think you'll write for um only children, Becca, or do you think you might write for adults later on? You've got some bigger stories in your head, something a bit more long form. I think I'll probably stick with uh Kidlet. Because that is definitely my comfort zone. I mean, even when I'm picking books for myself to read from the store, um, I gravitate to middle grade and young adult. And that's just what I enjoy. And my main goal with writing is to help kids feel less alone. And so um, I feel like that's where my time is best served is writing uh, middle grade stories that will eventually hopefully get in the hands of the kids and uh, help the introverts like me who uh who are growing up and don't really know how to share uh details about themselves so they turn to the books to feel more comfortable yeah i think think that's good so you've got an underlying theme you know with within what what you want to do yeah yeah i think that's nice and and i think um i think if you're if you're a quiet child i think books can be a real help to you to to help you learn things that perhaps you might not be getting from your family or from other children around you or or just help you to escape if you're you know there's so many I worked in inner city schools which we had a lot of troubled children and you know people from wall torn places and you know very multi uh, very multicultural schools that I worked in and they were 
there was such a mix of children. They're all brilliant. But some of those children were very, very troubled. And you can see how a story could just bring them out and it would be a whole different thing. And I understood that sometimes when I was reading to a class or even just reading to a child, that I was possibly the only person that's ever done that with them because they just, nobody was in their lives, everybody was too busy or, you know, they, they might have been orphaned or they were in care and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it is a, a really, a really good thing. And although I think there's lots of classic stories that are still brilliant and worthy, um, I think in a modern world we have different problems. And I think if writers can um, begin to, you know, like yourself, you know, you you know what, what it you know what troubles that you'd like to address and i think that's a really important thing so that they can um tap into that and have some you know get some help get some inspiration get some confidence whatever it takes so when do you think your next book's going to be out then? well that's that's a good question <laughs> i wish i knew the answer um i am currently querying my third book because i think that that particular subject matter uh is enough mass market forward that it will interest uh an agent so that's my story about there's a young girl who has diagnosed anxiety um entering middle school and how she sort of manages that she hasn't mm-hmm. spoken elective in five mute. years yes I, i've worked um, with elective mutes sto- yes absolutely as, <laughs> and as the story progresses we kind of learn out learn where that derived from and um what her background is but um this, my first book, The Painter's Butterfly, the main character is very much based on my sister, who is an artist, and uh, she has that artist personality, which, you know, out-of-the-box thinkers and sometimes kind of impulsive, but they have such a, like, talent uh, innately inside them. So that was The Painter's Butterfly, and then this new book um, is very much more geared towards the main character reflecting myself, where she's sort of like that introverted there's a lot going on in her head, but she doesn't mm-hmm. always share it with everybody else. So um, it's also a book that's very meaningful to me. And I'm hoping I have some agents who requested the full. So it's like I'm waiting to hear back. But my goal is to get that one out uh, through the traditional method. I mean, if the industry. Yeah, no, and I think if you write something that's <laughs> meaningful to you, that's that's what matters i think i don't think i mean you hear a lot of twaddle about people saying right to market blah 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 but i i I don't really believe it i think if you don't write from your heart and write what really matters to you or the story that's really bugging you then that that needs to be written then then don't bother really because you know we've got plenty of mass market stuff you know a computer can do that that's the i think that's the secret yeah, that's the secret sauce is um, the passion sort of translates through the writing. And if you don't have that passion, how is it possible for other people to feel passionate about that story? So it's like, I think that's the the very foundation for a successful story is having the passion and that emotional connection with it. Yeah. Right. Oh, and you got a title for this book? Uh, I've been calling it loophole because um, the main character's anxiety uh-huh. loops in her brain. So it's sort of like finding a loophole through the story, like to get out of that loop of anxiety. But I'm not sure how it will end. That's another thing. If I go with one of the bigger presses, uh, I won't really have yeah, a say they'll, in they'll, the title. They'll have a, 
they'll have a say. Oh. They have a say in everything, I think. Yeah. Not that I have any experience with it. Yes, I yeah. think that they make the final the final decisions will be up to them, but yeah. we'll see what happens. Well, it sounds like a good it sounds like a good story. And you know, like you say, I work with some elected mutes on several several children in my classes over the many years that I taught. And uh, yeah, it's a real it's a real thing, you know, to try and um, make them feel at least feel comfortable with you and and to try and get through to them and stuff like that. And yeah, it, it's a really it's a very sad thing to mm-hmm. see, uh, you know, because talking is such a a natural human thing to do. You know, it's something it was one of the first things we learn is to make a noise and then to and then to actually decide or feel so unconfident that you don't want to make any noise at all is is quite a thing, I think. Yeah. So brilliant. I think it's really good. Yes. I'm ready for that book. Yes. Yeah. I'm ready for that book. I and also it. I think teachers, educators, you know, generally and even home educators are are are, you know, if you've got a child in your care or in your class who has a problem, it's great if you can um, find them represented in fiction. I think that's a, that's a really a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. I, I've got uh, in my stories one of my characters, one of my characters' fathers is deaf. As was my father was very hard of hearing. He wasn't completely deaf as this person is, but there's very few deaf people I find in stories so I, I thought I'd just throw that in he's just a side character but I quite like how she has to interact with him and I quite like that side of it and I think that's that's quite a nice thing to represent something else yeah yeah it adds some reality to the story because our I mean our everyday lives are so diverse that um, it's more believable when you ha- incorporate those and it, not even like incorporating it as like an agenda but just incorporating it as this is a character that's with me on a day-to-day basis. And um, that's exactly how real life works. So I think that's great to have that type yeah, of inclusion yeah, in, in stories. It, yeah, it is exactly that. Uh, so so that's the book that you're writing that you're hoping to get published now. So tell me a little bit more about The Painter's Butterfly, Rebecca. Uh, the Painter's Butterfly is a middle grade light fantasy story that follows a 12-year-old foster kid um, named Nova who sort of has like a distrust of a lot of other people and she heads to her newest home out in the middle of like the country a very rural area um with the idea that that is not where she will eventually end up settling but she goes because they take her and um she's always used art as a form of therapy so her uh, preferred medium is pencil So she draws to sort of like sort through her emotions. So when she arrives at this new foster home, new foster parent uh, is a single man, an older man uh, who is a painter. And that's something that they share, obviously, is this affinity towards art. But in exploring the home, Nova discovers an easel that can actually bring paintings to life. So that's where the fantasy element comes in. It really, uh, while there is like magic and beauty in the story, it's very much about relationships and trust and found family and what home really means. So I like to think that it's a nice balance, but the story was on my mind for 15 years um, before I actually sat down to write it. And like I said, it was the pandemic that I'm like, okay, I'm actually going to try this now because I had written poetry and such before through school. 
And um, I had never actually tried to write a novel. So uh, I had had a lot of time to think about it. And um, yeah, I sat down and I wrote it. I want to say I wrote the first draft in like three months or so. And then uh, and then I'm like, oh, it's ready to go to agents. <laughs> it was not ready to go to agents, but you learn yeah, as you go. <laughs> I, I think it's nice when you've had a story that's been on your mind a long time, because when you come to write it, it's it's almost there, really. You know, although although you obviously, you know, mm-hmm. first draft, second draft, it goes through the writing process. But I think if you've imagined it really clearly, it comes out on the page. And I think that's that's quite a good thing. I didn't realize uh, how well I knew the characters until I sat down to write it. But it's like I had been imagining them for yeah, so long. And I think that, that really natural. comes across when you when you get it out there. Yeah. Nice. Nice stuff. So uh, don't worry, I will put those links and your um website and the, the the buy links and things if you want to go and find the um rebecca weber's the painter's butterfly uh the middle grade book and it looks absolutely marvelous i think and great that your sister's done the pictures for you yeah she uh that was one of my biggest uh desires for the book was to have her involved too because she really did yeah. inspire the main character and i have such admiration and love for her so it's like I wrote in the beginning. It's a love letter to yeah, my sister. Sweet, nice. I like that. Yeah, nice. Nice to have a dedication. Well, anyway, Rebecca, thank you for coming on the Words Pictures podcast. It's been great to, great to have you. Thank you so much. Fascinating to talk to Rebecca about her books and uh, the Painter's Butterfly, which is out now. You can find, as usual, notes in the show notes, which you can find on my website, www.djbowmansmith.com. If you want to find me as a children's author, you can find me on www.tigermolly.com. And you can find DJ Bowman Smith and Tiger Molly across social media as well. Um, and I'll put the, lo- the the links in the show notes about anything that we talked about. I think there was a Facebook book group she mentioned and obviously links to um, Rebecca herself. And so important, I think, to really write from the heart when you're writing for children as more than anything else, I believe. Anyway, so that was nice to talk to her. So next week, um, I'm actually going to do a solo episode. Now, this is because it's actually going to be the words and pictures podcast episode number 40 which seemed like quite a milestone to me so I kind of thought "Mm, I think I'll just keep that one for myself and um, have a little chat to you about this that and the other I'm going to be talking about um, making my book covers I'm going to be talking about the editing process um, swapping over my author self into a um, you know getting ready for this new book that I'm writing and having to sort of sort out my websites and those kinds of things and generally having a general comment about um, what's happening in the author writing indie author world and um, how it all hangs together and I'll be talking a little bit about what it's like to run a podcast so stick around for that next week Um, words and pictures podcast always comes out on a Monday and uh, you know do tell your friends to have a listen if they like reading if they like writing um, or indeed if they're involved in artwork in any way which is um, connected to publishing and so until next time then um, this has been the words and pictures podcast I'm DJ Bowman Smith bye-bye